Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 44, which begins with the drunk townie telling Izzy about the hammer party and ends with Thor calmly explaining that he plans to steal back his hammer. Joining us on the show today, as every day this week, is Austin Titchener, creator of The Shakespeareans, co-artistic director of The Reduced Shakespeare Company, and producer and host of The Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Austin, happy Thor's Day. And as we do every Thor's Day, we want to ask you, what is your favorite Thor moment? It can be from any of the movies, from comics, from a fan fiction you read once. Well, I guess I have. I guess I have several. Which is one is when in end in Endgame when he fully embraces his Falstaffian side. Mm. I mean, it's born of depression. <laughs> it's a very real mental illness thing. So that's a little tragic on the one hand. But on the other hand, he just becomes this big, bloated, um, um, a car sad cartoon character, much like Shakespeare's Sir John Falstaff. Um, and 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 having seen all the movies, you know Thor's. You you get to see Thor's greatness in a way you never get to see with Falstaff. So I do love that. But the other thing I love, and this is Loki related, is is when other actors get to play Loki when he's disguised mm-hmm. as them. You know, I'm thinking of uh, Chris Evans in I think it's Endgame um, for that one little moment. And uh, but also Anthony Hopkins at the beginning of Ragnarok. He's just loving he's he's delighting in getting to play loki and and you don't think of anthony hopkins as being an actor who's doing this for the fun of it but i think he absolutely uh, is and th- it's a opportunity to do that and he doesn't get to show his comic side often enough yeah i i love that you point that out i remember the loki moment i'd forgotten the anthony hopkins one i also just want to say for the people who might be adding us right now uh it, it's actually that moment happens uh where chris evans comes in that's in thor the dark world Ooh. And I only remembered it because someone recently asked me to tell one part I enjoyed about my least favorite movie in the MCU. And that was the one because it's not a great movie. <laughs> it happens there, but it also happens in in Endgame 2 when they when they go back. Who does it? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Stick with me, Matthew. I know pretty much everything there is to know about the MCU. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Well, you're my, you're my new co-host. Great. Not. Not. <laughs> not, not, not. No, not Andy. I'm for another podcast. Anyway, let's, let's go into a promo. We've got our Season 4 merch up in the merch store. If you want to check out what we have over there, head to truestory.fm slash Minute and just click on the merch button. You can see all the different shirts and pillows and mugs and everything else and uh, maybe pick something up to celebrate Season 4. So we open with all these people in the diner talking about the satellite. And it's funny, I would have never thought about it in those terms, but... Yeah, that's kind of how they would think of it, isn't it? Like, it looks like this metallic thing that's fallen from space. Yeah, some sort of meteor. I was kind of surprised that they thought of it as a satellite, and I forget why they do that. But, um, yeah, it makes sense. They're trying to rationalize and compartmentalize what this thing is. I guess it's because, I mean, a satellite, like, if I were thinking of a meteor, I would think it looks like a rock or some sort of a chunk of a something that would have landed on Earth. If it's if it's metal, because, I mean, Mjolnir, the, the body of the hammer, the head of the hammer, I guess, it looks like it's made of metal. I mean, it is uru it is in in the mcu it's a type of metal and so we have this this thing that i mean it looks like a hammer but it's metal it's got a handle so i can see them thinking that it's a piece of a satellite yeah i think yeah look it looks crafted it doesn't look like something natural but either way it's kind of an interesting way to frame it 
And, and so they let drop again in this kind of we're just overhearing the conversation. We were having a lot of funds till the Fed spoiled the fun. It's a little bit of information and foreshadowing of what we're about to see, because the next time we see it, it's completely surrounded by the shield fence and you know, all the all the tents and everything. Um, it's it, it's interesting from a storytelling standpoint that, that, that they get that information in that scene and you kind of barely hear it as they're exiting the diner. But I also love it's this kind of movie where the big tough townies happily and sort of nervously give the information to the to the tough stranger. Instead, it's not the kind of movie where the townies go, "Hey, who the hell are you? I'm going to pick a fight with you," and then get wasted by you. I, I, it's it's nice that it wasn't that kind of movie. Yeah, we're in an true. old west town, but this is not a western cliche necessarily. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. right. Exactly. It's interesting what the different characters here latch onto. Like it's Jane and Eric who perk up as soon as they hear the word satellite. And because, again, these are our science-minded characters. They hear satellite. They've already been kind of talking about these atmospheric disturbances that they were studying, the whole thing with Thor coming down from the heavens. Anything that is from the sky and, and science-related, like that, that is like exactly, that's the that's what they needed to hear. And they start paying attention to that conversation. They start injecting themselves into the conversation. What did this look like? All this sort of thing. And then it's it's when they say, oh, it was really heavy. That's what Thor latches onto. And, and I love how he kind of gets that little smile on his face like, oh, there it is. Dad, dad came through after all. Like that whole look <laughs> that he gets at his face. Uh, I, I love it. But it's like the, it's interesting how they kind of each kind of latch on to something. And then there's Darcy who doesn't latch on to anything. She's just obsessed with <laughs> <laughs> Thor eating and taking pictures for uh, Facebook, which I think is just just to point out a few years ago when Iron Man uh, came out in 2008, it was MySpace that it, they were talking about. It wasn't Facebook, which had just come out. So it's nice to see that. That's the exact point I was going yeah. to make because... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're just a couple. She's the social media influencer of the day. Right. And uh, um, and we're just a couple of years where she would have been posting that on MySpace. Exactly. And for me, this is one more reason why I think uh, a Darcy backstory movie is something I desperately want, because when you get to WandaVision, she's a full-blown scientist. She is super into the scientific observation, enough so that when I watched this again, I was like, wait, why doesn't Darcy care? And then I realized that's part of the point is that this is a little bit her origin story and her growth. And I, I really just want to know what happens to her between this and the dark world and, and getting to that point. Well, and maybe it's the nature of this kind of storytelling that so much of these stories is about identity, um, uh, both in the MCU and in, and in Shakespeare, because we all know, again, we're all audience, audience too is involved in the, in the act of uh, narrative storytelling in the act of theater in the act of film you're suspending your disbelief and and choosing to believe that what you're seeing is real and part of that part of understanding that is knowing that these are actors playing characters and sometimes characters change depending on who the actors are depending on what the story requires so maybe it's just inevitable that these kinds of stories are are about identity in the way that we're talking about this is shakespeare adjacent this is more tom stoppard but I, there's a very Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead kind of aspect to the idea that like characters like Jimmy Woo and Darcy, who start out as the comic relief, like they realize, wait, fans love them. And like, I think the chances of us getting a Darcy and Woo show is pretty high from stuff I've heard, you know, and certainly Woo had so much more of a role than he did in the Ant-Man movies. And it's just it's the Rosencrantz and Guildensterns, you know, the, the small little characters get to now go off and do their own thing and be great. Well, I mean, look what they did with Coulson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He got seven exactly. seasons of a show. 
And I love that you mentioned Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead because that contains what for me was a tr- mind-expanding, transformative observation, which is that every exit is an entrance somewhere else. Mm. Yeah. Um, that there is a world going on outside of the story that we are currently watching. And I love that stuff. I love, I, I think it's one of the thing, big reasons I'm drawn to the MCU. And I'm particularly excited about what's coming up with the multiverse stuff. Um, and, 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 and while what if is not, um, uh, compelling appointment viewing, I do enjoy seeing it for these riffs on, well, what happened? What would have happened if the story had gone this way instead of that way? I, I love that sort of fan fiction exploration. Well, that's also something I think is really interesting about doing these minute by minute explorations of these films is like, I, I pay more attention to these little characters than I ever have before. The fact that I can name them, you know, it's like all these things. And and like having this moment with Jake and and Pete while they're talking to Izzy here in the diner, it's like I, I'm so much more invested in kind of their story now because of that. And so I'm much more curious about that and, and their world. And, and so that's what I love about it is it it gives me that other that other angle to kind of approach the stories too yeah and i we're in tangent land here so i'll pull this back in a second but i i do love also that austin you named that as fan fiction because i don't often like to promote the harry potter stuff because of all the stuff about jk rowling but one of my absolute favorite fan fictions and i can't remember the name of it so if any of you fans know it please let me know it's a retelling of the entire harry potter story from the perspective of a slytherin student who's one year behind harry who hates, like, he's a Slytherin very much, but he thinks Draco is terrible. He loves Harry. And throughout the books, he's like, okay, those stupid Gryffindors. And he's always doing little things in the background to help save the Gryffindors' butts that they never know about. And it's such (laughs) a perfect, like, clearly this is a person who, basically it's Tom Stopper doing Harry Potter. And if anyone can remember the name of it, let me know, because it's, fan fiction I know gets a bad rap often. It can be very good, and this is some of the best of it that I've seen. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of it myself. And one of my favorite riffs on Shakespeare is Christopher Moore's novel Fool, which is the story of King Lear, but from the fool's point of view. And the, oh. it, it, it's a wonderful, wonderfully body, incredibly body comic novel. Um, and, uh, uh, but it's also a, one of those things where if you read that novel, you begin to understand Oh, how the events in King Lear actually played out and why some of the characters behave the way they do. So it's its own wonderful comic adventure on its own. But in its way, it's also sort of great imagined backstory for Shakespeare's play. It's become so popular, too. Like, I mean, look at what Gregory Maguire started doing with Wicked and Confessions of an Ugly Stepsister. And I mean, and then Disney got on the bandwagon with like Maleficent and 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 trying to find these other perspectives. And I, I think the whole idea of walking in someone else's shoes, I, I think that is just such a, a fan, fantastic and fascinating way to explore these different stories um, where, I mean, as you know, you always hear people say, you know, the villain is the hero in their own story. And I, I mean, that's that's the case right here, right? I've literally just been talking about fan fiction uh, in both my Shakespeareans um, monthly web video series, but also the, in excerpts that I did for my podcast, talking with a, a scholar of fan fiction and also creator of fan fiction. Uh, and, and we've been talking about the fact that I, re- I just realized that the Reduced Shakespeare Company is from its very founding, uh, a form of fan fiction. I mean, our name... Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, our name is a play on the Royal Shakespeare Company. In England, they refer to us as the other RSC. <laughs> <laughs> 
The complete works of William Shakespeare abridged is absolutely informed by um, uh, uh, Tom Stoppard's Dogs Hamlet. Um, um, all of our, uh, many of our shows are both celebrations of the subject matter, but also criticisms of the subjects and criticisms of the way that these subjects are often presented in school. Um, and I think that's one of the big appeals of the complete works and kind of all of our stuff is that Shakespeare is taught badly historically around the world. So we've all had that experience of, of our first Shakespeare experience not being great. Um, and I think our shows are very much a, 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 a riff on that. Well, and I love that so much because honestly, it's something that in you know my other podcasting, I'm very much just in the superhero science fiction world. One of the things that we often talk about in terms of how toxic the fandoms can sometimes be about like, no, that's not what it said is I think one of the ways to address that is realizing like, unless your name is Stan Lee or Jack Kirby, anything you write with these characters is fan fiction. Uh, what I talk about probably the most is all the people who get mad about the, the Star Wars sequels. Star Wars is probably my biggest fandom I talk about or the Disney shows or any of that. It's all, if you unless your name's George Lucas, it's all fan fiction, you know? And that's a, the great thing about fan fiction is you can accept it as canon or totally reject it. It's totally fine. They're just getting paid for it in ways that most fan fiction authors would love. <laughs> And and to continue the tangent even further, there's a there, there's a false dichotomy that fan service or fan fiction must automatically be bad, or that a a, a corporate storytelling telling enterprise must be morally or creatively bankrupt because they're trying to make money out of it. I think the MCU has proven that that doesn't have to be true in every case. Um, and honestly, I think Shakespeare proves that that isn't true. Shakespeare was writing to make money. He was absolutely not doing it for the art of it. He happened to infuse his commercial commercial enterprise with great artistry, um, but not total artistry because some of his plays are terrible. La last thing I'll say on this before I pull this back is, uh, you know, for anyone who really wants to think about just how long this goes, and I can probably be one of the only people who can say this given my profession, but I still might get some angry emails. Who knows? If you want to think about a kind of fan fiction where people just knew this story about a guy who went around teaching things and telling ideas, and they all wrote fan fiction about it, their names are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, that's fan fiction. <laughs> Not fiction, exactly. I am a Christian. It's religious. But anyway, uh, sorry, Andy, for all the angry emails that you got you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say it. In our, in our show, The Bible, The Complete Word of God Abridged, we celebrate the Bible as the greatest story ever accepted as fact. I love that. I love that. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite seminary teachers talked about the difference between taking the Bible seriously instead of literally. Moving back to this before I'm losing even more followers or gaining some, who knows? We mentioned before, but I just want to bring us back to it, that great moment where Darcy, you know, she just wants to put Thor on Facebook because it says a lot about Thor. It says a lot about Darcy, but I also think it says so much. Thor has no idea what Facebook is. I don't think he has any idea what a camera is or, or certainly not this thing she's holding up but she says smile and we get the hammiest posiest mouthfuliest everyone wants to look at me look at me moment thor doesn't care someone's asking you to smile he knows exactly what that means yeah mouthfuliest that's a that, that, that's uh -huh. a good expression andy i like that a lot <laughs> yeah but he knows he knows that one thing we do know about thor he can't read a room but he knows how to have a good time and that includes yeah. smiling so true yep. so true and so he figures out what they mean by heavy, and he immediately goes, how does he know what direction west is? On he's road? looking at the sun. He's he's out in the middle of the, in the street looking up at the sun. Oh, does he? Okay. Again, I kind of then wonder, like, you know, different, we've talked about the cosmology of Asgard being very different, but, you know, maybe you get lessons in 
how to how to navigate Midgard if you ever go to entertain the peasants, you know, who knows? <laughs> there must be something because, well, and it, it, in the script, as, as we talked about last week, when he gets hit by uh, the car, when it backs it, when uh, Jane backs into him, he's looking up in the sky and he's like, one sun, blue sky. Oh, I'm on Midgard. It's like, that's the moment that he kind of clicks as to where he is. So he must know something about some of those elements. And so, yeah, I guess he's looking up at the sun and he knows the Midgardian sun west is that way. You know, maybe what he learns in school is about 11th century Scandinavia, because that's the last <laughs> time an Asgardian went to uh, Midgard. Right. So so then we kind of get he's out in the street and, you know, Jane's rushing up and we, we do see everyone else uh, rushing after him. And I, I remember having the moment of like when I doing this analysis, like, did someone pay? And I like that Eric comes out a good deal after. Like, I feel like he he has enough time <laughs> to throw some bills on the table. Tip your waitresses always. It is a thing, though. I mean, you know. Uh, Jane clearly knows Izzy like she calls her Izzy first of all she's she's been here in this town long enough to have created these relationships and she apologizes to Izzy about the mug and all that sort of stuff and so I had a feeling that like even if they did run out that they I mean they're just they're just across the street at the at Smith Motors so yeah it's one of those things where they're they will definitely make sure that they pay their bill even if it is days later <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Jane has a tab there <laughs> yeah, yeah right definitely exactly. definitely <laughs> And so Jane comes up to him and I just, you know, clearly she's in that place of like the government. This means this thing. And it, it's in some ways the same kind of energy that the the drunk drunk guy had before and that Pete had before of, well, the feds showed up, you know, even these tough guys, they're not going to challenge that. And I just love Thor's reaction so much. She just says, are you going to try to steal that back from the government? Yes. <laughs> like, that's it. It's, it's not even, he's not even accepting the idea that there might be a reason to question this. Well, and as we've seen earlier in the movie, he doesn't, he's not a great judge of what's appropriate. You know, he says, yeah, let's go to Jotunheim and I'll just kick some ass and uh, it'll all be good. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, isn't that part of, isn't that part of his depression in Endgame is that he, he, he realizes he has begun to realize the limits of his abilities. Yeah. I mean, not here in this moment, oh, but no. in this movie, but later. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, here he's he's just walking down in the middle of the street. I mean, like he still is. I'm royalty. Nothing else matters. Everything is everything. Like uh, is here for me. I mean, he is Earth, and everything revolves around him, including the sun. At this particular point, I think there's a very fine line, and people talk about this a lot between confidence and swagger in a way that makes you incredibly interesting to people versus arrogance and overconfidence that just makes you seem like a jerk. And I feel like here we're, we still know he's crossing the line. But when Thor is at his best, it is because he has that swagger and that confidence. And it, it, to me, this was a moment of like, yeah, you're being a jerk, but that is kind of why I love you. And after seeing you be a jerk a lot, I kind of like having that. OK, yeah, that's that's the good Thor that we're going to get later. And I love that you use the word swagger because that is a genuinely Shakespearean word. Oh, is it? Really? I had no idea. Yeah, I'm not sure where he invented it, but he certainly um, uh, popularized it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I, interesting. I, to me, I thought of it as like a cowboy movie thing, you know, the yeah, cowboy right. swagger. So I love hearing that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, and, and, you know, I, to your point, just I mean, you've both mentioned the whole idea of the fish out of water that we certainly have here with Thor. I, there is a difference in a fish out of water character that is very confident and has a swagger and just is like going into stuff blindly without a care. And that's what I love about Thor here, as opposed to a fish out of water character that is a little more hesitant and nervous about like where I don't know anything that's going on here. And so it, it it plays really well here with the driver who's like, yeah, dumbass and all this sort of stuff with Thor walking down the middle of the road. I mean, it just it plays exceptionally well. 
This is a fish who knows that the world will become water as soon as they realize he needs them to. That's right. <laughs> uh, so I do find it very telling that for those first couple of minutes, we pretty much only talked about like story, acting, plot. Uh, there's some great stuff happening here, to be sure. But let's, let's talk about some more of the technical stuff, or at least just kind of some of the, the uh, odder moments. I love that they talk when, when uh, Drunk Guy and Pete are talking, they just casually mem- mentioned that they said it was radioactive. If I'm told I was just touching something radioactive, a diner is not probably my first stop in a town that has a hospital. <laughs> is did they say they it was or they said it the, the feds were yeah. saying it You said the, the feds. It, yeah. They might be they might it might they might be coming in to take care of it because it's radioactive. Yeah, he says they said it was radioactive. I had my hands all over it and he's just kind of laughing. It's uh, I mean yeah. it's we don't get a lot of that. It's purely written for laughs, but it's it's a very funny moment, but it does make me question, you know, Jake and Pete's uh smarts about like maybe not <laughs> going home and washing first. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's also a scene it's funny Andy you keep talking about how like you don't believe there's 2000 people in this town. They certainly have enough car traffic for it. Uh, that scene where we, we've often seen like a car driving past every 30 seconds, maybe. And then Thor walks out and we need to see him being hit by cars. And there's a whole lot of cars all of a sudden. Oh, I know. There's the car that's turning that, that, uh, the driver yells at him. There's another car that has to go around him down the road. There's a truck that, uh, you know, engine, its engine is smoking. I mean, there's, there are a lot of cars here on this particular moment. And there's, there's pedestrians. I mean, they, they do a good job of actually trying to make it look like a bigger town, even though I still don't ever buy it we do get to see a little more of the town once we get on the street there's a couple cool places we see a, a buffet that has a special clam for 4.99 okay furniture and floor covering specialists uh one little note i love is that there's a donut store a donut land which i don't think it was the same name but we've talked sometime about how this movie is happening the exact same time as iron man 2 <laughs> right. where of course he's in like the huge donut outside a donut store when nick fury finds him it's just another little like we're starting to have these movies connect to each other. Well, and you didn't mention the, the um, there's a the water tower in the back has Home of the Vikings painted on it, which is a, a nice little nod to just kind of the mythology behind uh, Thor and everything, which is great. And the fact that it's OK furniture and floor covering specialists, I can't help but think that that is in some way a nod to JMS's Thor uh, comic line that he did when Thor actually not New Mexico, but comes and lands in Oklahoma. I, I will confess I let you mention that one because as a Minnesotan and a football fan, I felt that I might take a slightly different derivation from the Vikings reference. But yes, I totally understand what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, there could be that other one. Sure. So I think that's a good place to wrap up. Are there any other last details we want to get into? Oh, I think this is a good place to stop as we get into the next one. All right. Well, as always, thank you all so much. Also, we've heard a lot of great places where people can find you online or learn more about your stuff. Um, where are your plays showing? Like, are there theaters? Well, obviously, the pandemic has screwed up so much. But are there plans for tours of any of these shows or for are there uh, hopefully in the Midwest, Minneapolis, perchance, or anywhere else in the country or the world? There are definite plans. Um, we might have a performance happening in late November of 20. 20- 21. Um, we're still waiting on whether the equity actors equity guidelines will allow that performance to uh, happen. Um, other than that, performances are beginning to start up again in 2022, starting in January, February of our, our, our most recent show, Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel. Um, but we're also uh, performing, giving some performances of the complete history of comedy abridged. And you can find more information at the RSC website, reducedshakespeare.com. That'll have all the current dates as we have them, uh, but we also make announcements about it um, uh, 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 on our Twitter page, uh, at Reduced Twitter account, or on the on the RSE podcast. 
That's right about now because th- these episodes are coming out uh, mid to late November. Okay, so, great. Yeah. yeah, check that out. That sounds like it's going to be some great, great viewing. Um, as always, Austin and Andy, thank you all so much to all of our fans. Thank you and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 